I don't know if you know this, but today it is 50 days past Easter, which means it is Pentecost Sunday. It is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, this is when, uh, if you've ever read the Bible, if you've ever opened up and you've read John, the Gospel of John, which we covered earlier, chapter 1, uh, God told John the Baptist, he said, the one who the Spirit descends on and stays is the Messiah. And, and what's really important and what we have to, to hold on to there and look at is the key word stays. Because at that time, the Holy Spirit would come, and if you, if you read in the Old Testament, you would see kings and prophets. The Holy Spirit would, would come, and they would prophesy, and sometimes they would, they would fall flat, and they, they would just be under the power of the Holy Spirit, and they would proclaim things, but then the Holy Spirit would leave. The Holy Spirit would leave. And so for the Holy Spirit to come and to rest and to stay on Jesus is a very, very important thing. And so that's why we see in, in Acts chapter 1 and 2 when Jesus ascended into heaven and he commanded his disciples, he said, you need to go and you must wait for the gift that is to come. The Holy Spirit, when they were in the upper room, it says that there's about 120 people that were there. And in that time, in that time, it says that the Holy Spirit came, and guess what? The Holy Spirit stayed. That means that, and when we're going to be back to reading here, we've been in the, the book of 1 John, the Holy Spirit, as we accept Christ, as the Spirit of God lives in us, he is not coming and going. Yes, he may come with more power. There are times that he's going to come in, in, in ways that just really surprise us, but he is in us, living through us as we live in him. And this is the excitement of Pentecost and that there are gifts of the Holy Spirit that are in us as believers. And I think part of the problem that we have is we don't realize it. We don't know what we don't know, right? Do you know that the Holy Spirit has been given to you? And, and actually, Paul says it's a seal. And one of my favorite things is for if you've ever bought a house, you want to raise your hand for a second? Okay, how about a car? Okay, what do you have to do when you, when you buy that car? You either have to pay it off, or it, for most Americans, you can't quite pay off your house the first year, right? You put down a deposit. I think I have the scripture in there for you, Jackie. Ephesians 1, starting at verse 13. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised, say it, Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is a deposit in us for what is to come, and that is God. That is Jesus manifest in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit working together and it is a deposit in us. And that is powerful. What, I, I can picture it because I've had to give money for a deposit. And it is a good thing that the Holy Spirit has been deposited into our lives. So in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see Paul is listing out gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. Now, I want to be very clear that the Holy Spirit can give us more than what we see right here. But these are 12 gifts that he is identifying. And uh, one is the gift of wisdom, 
One is the gift of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, gift of miraculous power, the gift of speaking in different tongues, interpretation of tongues. And the one that we're going to be talking about today because it's all over in 1 John, but um, also today in 1 John chapter 4, is distinguishing between spirits or discernment, discerning between spirits. Now, sometimes people look and go, Lord, I just, I pray for the gift of discernment. And listen, we all need discernment, right? We all need discernment. But it doesn't say the gift of discernment. It says the gift of discerning between spirits or distinguishing between spirits. That's different. That's different. That we need to be able to identify the spirit of God and or the spirit of the world. Okay, there are demonic forces at work that do not want you to succeed. And we need to know, we need to have the spirit within us being able to identify when something is out to derail us. So I'm just going to review the first three chapters really, really quick here to catch everybody up. If you weren't here, maybe you're visiting or whatever. I just want you to kind of understand where we've been. So we've been looking at the Johannian literature. That means the, the writings of John. And so we've got the Gospel of John. We've got First and Second and Third John as well. And today we are in First John chapter 4. So in chapter 1, I called it Stay the Course. Stay the Course. John reminded his readers of his credibility I was there, I tasted, I smelled, I saw, and now I'm writing to you. We see the credibility of the man who had the most intimate relationship with Jesus out of anybody else who's ever walked this planet. It says at one point that the, he calls himself the beloved. He says, I am the one that rested my head against the chest of Jesus. This is a guy that he wanted to make sure we all knew that he and Jesus were tight. And, and you know what, in, in, in John, the Gospel of John, he doesn't even say his name. He just says the one that Jesus loved. I think that's just fantastic. And so here, um, Jesus, and, and, he, and he says in 1 John um, verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so in John chapter 1, he says, I am credible. I am the only eyewitness alive at this point that was a disciple of Jesus. And I'm telling you, believers, and so I am, I am going to be talking through John to you that was led by the Holy Spirit. I'm saying to you right now, stay the course. Right now, I'm saying this to you. John said to us, and the Holy Spirit said to him, so for all of you right now, stay the course. Say amen. Okay, amen means let it be. So there we go. Number two, examine yourself. If you go online and look, I called it pop quiz. We all love pop quizzes. Wrong, we don't. But anyway, in uh, chapter two, um, we really see this examination of ourselves. And, and I put his phrases into questions for us. So chapter two, here are the questions that I asked at the end of the sermon. Are you remaining in him? Are you remaining? Uh, number two, do you realize that you, were, that you have overcome the evil one? You have overcome. The spirit in you is greater than he that is in the world. Do you remember what you learned about God in the beginning of your faith? Then the question, he says, do you know him? Do you know him? Then do you know that you are not weak? John wanted to make sure that you realize your strength and your power in the Holy Spirit means that you are not weak, but you were made strong in him. And then lastly, do you love the world more than you love God? 
This is a, a question of examining our lives, and nobody else can answer but us. Are we hanging on to the things of this world more than we're hanging on to the things of the Lord? And then three, last week I named it, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Uh, in, in verse two, we, we see that, uh, well, it says that as we look at our, our current circumstances and understand that one day all will be made right, until that time we see that there is Cain, and there is Abel. There is light, there is darkness, there is love, there is hate, there is good, there is evil, and that we are to be people like Abel, which means we do what is right. We are children of the light. People who love one another just as Christ loved us and gave his life for us, the best is yet to come. And so today, today in chapter 4, I, I, the word that really, there, there's a bunch of different words to, to describe a, um, abiding in love, abiding in love, but there's also to dwell in love, to dwell, to live. Some of your versions in the, in the Bible say just to, that we are to live in love, that we are to remain, that we are to stay, we're supposed to stay put in, in love. And in, in the first 21 verses of 1 John 4, the word love is used 26 times. In 21 verses, 26 times. This is why John is called the apostle of love. And I don't know about you, but when I'm, when I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, I got it. I got it. Got it. Love each other. Got it. But then the question is, when we think of the repetition, is do I? Do I? Do, have I really got it? Have I got this love thing really, really in me? And I think that's a question that we really need to ask ourselves. Just as Jesus emphasized in his teaching, John is one who we know had the closest human relationship with Jesus, makes sure that his readers cannot miss this point. He calls his re readers beloved. When, you, when you're reading 1 John 4, he's calling, he's saying, beloved, this is what he's saying to us, and he calls us children, children, because at this time he, he is an old man. He's calling us friends. So I, I'm thinking, how, how can I illustrate love? How, how, can, how can I try and illustrate the idea, not, not of just the type of love that maybe, you know, we've experienced in a relationship or of a family member or a friend or a pet or whatever the case may be. I, I don't know how you describe love, but how, how can I describe it in a way that I, I feel that John is trying to, to say to us today? And so um, I'm going to say it in, in, in the way of, can we reek of love? Now, reek is usually not a really positive word. I can't really think of a time somebody has said, you know, you reek of something in a, in a positive way. But I'm going to try and make it. Let's change this word, right? Can we reek of love? So here's my question. Have you ever worked um, in fast food or the, the food service industry? Is there anybody here? Okay, how many of you have ever had a child or somebody in your home or in close proximity that has worked in the food industry? Anybody? Okay, I'm going to tell you something that's totally going to gross you out, and I, I should never do this. But I, I used to manage at Tucci Benuch in the Mall of America, and I kid you not, you can't make this stuff up, I had garlic 
so a part of my human body that I had traces of my body when I slept. I'm not kidding you. It, it literally came out of my pores. It was absolutely a part of me. Those of you who have worked in the food industry, those of you who, I mean, my daughter works at Starbucks right now. When she walks into the house, I'm like, Eden's home. I smell coffee all over her, and it's much more pleasant than it could be, as some of you know. And if you've worked in the food industry, I'm not going to name any because I just don't want to throw them under the bus, but Gary, you're laughing. You know what I'm talking about. When they walk in, their whole bodies permeate. I mean, you're like, oh my goodness, jump in the shower, let's burn those clothes, let's do whatever. It's in your hair, it's everywhere. You don't sit on the couch, it's going to get into the fibers, oh, go, you know what I mean? And, and it is, they reek. And, and this is the closest illustration that I can think of, is that the love is supposed to be so much a, a part of us that we reek of it. Can we just reek of, of love? This doesn't mean that we have to be weird about it. And this is where it gets really funny is because we, we define love, you know, maybe how we were taught or how our family expressed love. My, my grandpa, um, he, he was not, what my mom grew up with, with my grandpa, was not the grandpa that I knew. I mean, this was a man, he didn't touch anybody. And if they said, Dad, I love you, he'd go, huh. good old German, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Then he'd go farming, Right. By the end, by the time I grew up and I saw him, he could actually hug us. And he would hug and he would, he would kiss us on the cheek and he would say that he loved us. Okay? That wasn't a natural thing for him. So John, in, in all of his talk of love, never once does it say, okay, new believers, got some hard news for you. You're going to have to become a hugger. Sorry. You have to start hugging a lot. <laughs> the, the, the only thing that, that there's even an expression of something like this is greet your brothers with a holy kiss. And thank goodness we don't do that. We, we do some holy fist bumps here. All right? But the, the idea of, of becoming weird about reeking of love or becoming a person of love is not expressed that way. And actually, biblically, I, I would say it means more that we recognize that we are not the most important person in the room. I mean, biblically speaking, right, uh, it, it, it turns the, the principle of, of what, what we see in the hierarchy of the CEOs on top, and it, it takes that pyramid and it flips it upside down, and this is where Jesus started washing the, the disciples' feet of saying, no, 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 we're, we're called to serve. We're called to serve. And so um, it means that we give up our freedom and, and our personal will for the sake of somebody else. It means that it concedes that, that Jesus purchased us for a price. Paul calls it a ransom. And we are no longer our own. I think reeking of love is beginning to realize that we are now at the mercy of what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And we are willing to make changes and adjustments and allow our personal freedoms to take a back seat for somebody else. I believe that is more of a biblical definition 
And for some of you who are not huggers, you're saying, oh, thank you, Jesus. But you wouldn't raise your hand, of course, because you're not even a hugger. I thought that was kind of funny. I mean, give me a, give me a little something here. You could talk to me a little bit. <laughs> so I shared this uh, in the beginning of 1 John. I just thought this was a powerful, powerful um, historical writing, but it, it is not in Scripture, so I want to make that very clear. <clears throat> Um, this is a, an ancient story told by Jerome. And so it's really good to remember that because John lived to be an old man, he literally trained the fathers of our faith. And so people were then being taught by John. Yes, the writings, but also by John who walked with Jesus. And there is this ancient story told by Jerome that says that when, when John the Beloved was too old to preach, we know it's this same John because it's John the Beloved, when he was too old to preach, he used to be carried to the church simply to repeat in the hearing of the entire congregation, and this is the quote, little children love one another. And one of the times that he was carried, um, carried out and he repeated his one message, just to love one another, somebody, and in my mind, I'm, I'm imagining, because it doesn't say who said it, I'm imagining like a teenager or a younger boy who says, why do you always say this? You know, I can, just, I can just hear, I can hear that tone. Mom, Mom, why does he always say this? And John answered, because it, because it is the Lord's command, and if only this be done, it is enough. If only this be done, it is enough. This, friends, is why John is called the apostle of love. How can we take this teaching of love and do more than just be hearers with it, because we all know, I mean, oh, love, okay, but what does it actually mean? Be more than hearers, but actually doers. How can we reek of love? So in your bulletins, um, I, I put in there um, three directives that I pulled out of uh, 1 John chapter 4, and I hope it kind of helps as we um, just push through this here today. So I'm going to start reading 1 John um, Chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and it even now is already in the world. Verse 4, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So directive number one is discernment of spirits, the discern between the spirit of God who lives in us and the spirit of the world. And I believe that all believers should pray for the gift of discernment of spirits. This would suit us and do us well. But what we know from, if you've read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and you know how the, the spirit of God works, the spirit of God gives gifts to people in the way that he wants to do it. And it says that some are given more and some not as much. But they need to act 
in accordance with what the Lord has deposited in them. So this is where we see the need of discernment of spirits. It is an introduction uh, into the spirit of the world, which is not of God. So Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 10. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord, had ma- that Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the garden or of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, there's truth there. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking into the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Why is Genesis important here? Because this right here is one of the very first times, and I believe it is the first time, where we see now the difference between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the world. We see the enemy, we see Satan using deception, using little bits of truth to deceive Adam and Eve. And this is what makes uh, deceit good. it's, It's that a little bit of truth It's a little bit of truth thread in there, just enough to be able to deceive you. This is why we see so much language about the world and God, the spirit of the world and God. In in 1 John 3, 8, we talked about this last week, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, right? We see this in Genesis, been sinning from the beginning, even before that. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. God appeared because of what happened to destroy the devil's work. And then God said, where are you? Adam's response was, I am naked. He never knew before. So in in a way, there's the element of truth. Now you're going to see, and he saw that he was naked. Adam's eyes were opened. And this is how deceit works. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, I, I believe I have that for you, Jackie. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. This should grab a hold of us. And all of us have been around it. All of us have heard it. There, there are, there are, don't want to name <laughs> messages or things that we're hearing. Man, things can sound so, so good, friends. They can sound so good and they can sound so loving and they can, they can really improve us. 
right? We want to improve. We want to get better. We want to be all that we can be. And all of a sudden, we find the gospel being turned into a self-improvement book. Instead of a message from God calling us to be like him and to be holy. A message telling us that we need to be separate. And, and actually, we can, we can sin. But the message is that we can confess our sins and that he will forgive us of our sins. <clears throat> there are a lot of itching ears in this world who are drawn to messages that are far from the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> a couple years ago, actually, a number of years ago now, there was a, a movement that had begun to happen, and there, there were, um, it, it was a, a belief that this was the new revival that had been coming to the United States. And, you know, you know, like when something happens, you always expect a certain group of people that are always trying to be seen and always trying to have the next, I don't know, holy water that was blessed and you have to buy this on, on and otherwise you're never going to be blessed. I don't know, you know that kind of thing. <clears throat> and I'll never forget as I was watching, and I'm like, Lord, are you doing something here? And I remember all of these um, pastors and evangelists going and gathering publicly around this guy. And, and um, the Christian TV shut off all of their normal broadcasting to watch this one guy or his prophet or whatever, all of his services, just straight services. That all of it has gone to that. And all these, these famed speakers and written all these books and, you know, in their fancy everything. And they're all laying hands on him, saying he is the next and naming all these, these people, right? And I'm going, this is really weird. Nobody knows this guy. He just came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, he's claiming to have all these powers and everything. Well, it didn't take long till this man's ministry totally unraveled. Totally unraveled. And not only was his secretary now more important than his wife to go forward and doing the ministry, the new ministry that the Lord had, but also, he claimed to be receiving his powers from angels, not from the Holy Spirit. He started using things that are totally against what, what we are supposed to look for. And in the very first verse, test all the spirits. And I'm looking and I'm going, these, these are ministers, so-called ministers of the gospel. Where was their discernment of spirits? And how many people in our country were led? Led because they said, well, so-and-so is there. This must be of, of the Lord. And of course, not long after that, nobody hears hide nor hair and everybody's off the hook. This should not be the case. But this also shows the importance of us having the Spirit of God in us that we need to be able to distinguish between spirits. Sometimes you have somebody start talking to you and you're like, man, I know this is of the Lord. And then you have somebody speaking and you're like, oh man, what, what's going on? Listen to that voice, friends. Listen to that voice. The Holy Spirit is saying, hey, pay attention. Pay attention. Something isn't right. I'm not saying you need to fly off the handle and start making accusations. You need to, to listen. Listen to that voice. That voice that the Holy Spirit is putting inside of us. 1 John 4, dear friends, I, we already read 4.1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Friends, 
When you hear something, you go, okay, is this in my Bible? Does this align with the Spirit of God? So the question for you after this first directive is, are you testing the voices that are in your life? Who has access to you? Are you testing those voices? Are you asking the Holy Spirit for discernment of spirits so you will not be led astray like your father, Adam? Directive number two, do not fear. That sounds easy enough, right? Do not fear. And uh, in chapter four here, verses four, and it says in your bulletin eight, I made a mistake, it's 18, not eight. You'll be a little confused if you look at that. And it was actually, it was today, June 9th, but it happened to be in 68 AD that Nero ended his life. And if you know anything about the reign of Nero, I can't go, I can't even really talk about anything. Because frankly, half of you would get up and leave. It is so brutal. And for those who feel like, man, persecution is real, Christian persecution, you need to get brushed up on Nero. There's plenty of documentaries out there. And it is so disturbing when you hear and when you read what was happening during that time in the way that Christians were tormented day and night. And it was on June 9th that he took his own life. And in the next year, in 69 AD, there were four different Caesars, but they were all killed as well, as they all are trying to take the rule of after Rome had burned and Christians were blamed for this, Nero did that. All these things are happening, and all of a sudden the fifth ruler comes in, and this time it lasts from 81 to 96, and that is Domitian. So why is this important to us? Why should we care at all? Because number one, when we see written documentation that is happening while the New Testament is going on, it gives validity to what is happening. We know that Paul and we know that Peter were both executed underneath the reign of Nero. They were a part of that great, great uh, persecution of Christians. But now what we see is in uh, Revelation 1-9, John is writing the book of Revelation on an island because he was exiled by Domitian. And we know that he still lived because Domitian died in 96 AD. So now we know that John goes back to Ephesus. Now that Domitian's dead, his exile doesn't matter anymore, and he is free. And so here, here's what I, I want to show you. Can you put up that uh, picture of Nike? <clears throat> we pronounce it Nike. I'm actually wearing a pair right now. This is when you would come into Ephesus, this is the goddess Nike. You can identify her with the really large uh, wings, usually a wreath in her hand, and <clears throat> she is the symbol of victory. She is the symbol of strength, of, of speed, and this is what John would have returned to. So I want you to think of this for a second. I want you to, <clears throat> to think of you were on this island, you've had revel revelation, <clears throat> like never experienced, and you're you're coming back into the city of Ephesus where Jesus on the cross put you in charge of Mary. And Mary by this time had passed and buried in Ephesus. And you're coming back and you're going to see believers that you have helped train in the Lord for the first time in a very long time. We don't know exactly how long he was there. And he's taking in the smells of Ephesus. And at this point, we don't know how good his eyes 
were. But what is greeting him are pagan gods and goddesses just like this. So now I, I want you to think of what we hear when John writes, greater is he in you than he that is in the world. So he's writing that in an area where they are outnumbered. They're writing this in a time where there are pagan temples and all, all over the place. And they are just this small group of, of believers in Ephesus in this church. And they're trying to be holy. And they're trying to live totally separate lives than the rest of the people of Ephesus. And they're seeing these goddesses like Nike and, and, and these different things all around them. And in that, he is still able to say, greater is he in you than he is in the world. Put that in us today. We don't even have that. We don't even have that visual when we drive into our cities where, where we're seeing these gods and goddesses where we're like, our, our spirits are just being vexed. But still, we don't realize that greater is he in us than he that is in the world. They're writing this to people that are being barraged every day with ungodliness, with filth. And he's saying, it is bigger. You are great. You are overcomers. And I get to say this to you today. You are stronger because of the Holy Spirit in you. You are an overcomer because of the Holy Spirit in you. Live like it. Live like it. Instead, we, we cower and we're like, oh, Lord, the spirit of the world is so great. No. No, it's not. The spirit in you is greater. Let's live like it. Let's live like it, friends. Let's believe it. Verse 4, dear children <clears throat> are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. When we reek of love, when we reek of the Father's love that is in us, all of a sudden the fear of this world becomes drowned out. That doesn't mean we don't fear. That doesn't mean that there's not anxieties in our life. But I don't know about you, but like when Pastor Callie was leading us today and, and she, was, she was saying, you know, maybe some of these things the Lord is putting in your mind that you need to just say and put before the Lord. The Lord put things into my mind, things that I, I am anxious about. And you know what I did? I put them before the Lord. Just like I believe some of you did today. Lord, I'm, I'm anxious about this right now. Lord, take this from me because I know this is not of you. It's an easy confession. Directive number three, our last one. Some of you are going, woo, thank goodness. He who dwells in love, I said this in the beginning, dwells in God. He who remains in love remains in God. He who stays in love stays in God. He who abides in love abides in God. God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. If you want to go to verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. Okay, this is again, this is how we know. This is important, right? This is how we know. Okay, let's make sure that we're in right standing. He has given us 
of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus uh, is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Because he is in us, we then do likewise in love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. Who abides in love abides in God. Who dwells in love dwells in God. And God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. That's a great command, right? In this world, there's an expectation We are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I don't know about you, but I would say I probably first became a Christian because of fear. I was told that if I didn't become a Christian, I was going to be in flames for the rest of my life, and that scared me. And so then I said, oh, dear Lord, I am now a Christian. Come and be in my life. I love you, I think. I'm just being transparent, and I'm pretty sure that if I asked of hands, you don't have to, you would go, yeah, yeah, I've experienced that. But it's pretty hard not to read this and, and, and realize that The one who fears is not made perfect in love because fear has to do with punishment. And let me tell you, friends, that getting to the point in your relationship where it has nothing to do with that but has everything to do with what Christ has done for us, it changes the whole game. We have Christ in us, he in us, and we are in him. We talked about adoption last week. And we are now a part of this, and we are a part of him because he first loved us. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love God their brother and sister. Dwell in love. Remain in love. Abide in love. Stay in love. Live in love. And in so doing, you will stay in Christ. Christ.